0: Well, here's a great tale. Today, we have Airtasker CEO and co-founder, actually, with Airtasker, Tim Fung, on the mics. Unless you've been under a rock you'd know that the Australian gig economy jobs marketplace listed on the ASX early this year with a market cap now upwards of $450 million. You might also know that 7West Media was an early stage investor in Airtasker before exiting at the IPO. We're going to cover a bunch of really interesting stuff from a startup founder, including Tim's discovery of how main media can drive awareness and customers to a platform like Airtasker via the 7Deal, to a freaky phase last year when the Itasca team figured it might lose 90% of their revenues through COVID, only to find a surge in pandemic-triggered jobs from bike repairs to home office IT support Proved their worst fears wrong. But what now with Seven's advertising deal gone? How is was Airtasker building its next, next wave of customer growth and revenues to keep hungry equity investors happy? I recall Tim on stage at an industry conference a few years back singing the praises of TV exposure for triggering new business. So what's the customer strategy now? And where does Airtasker go next? We're about to find out. So welcome, Tim. Great to have you on. Um, It's As I I mentioned, it's been a fairly hectic phase for you between uh, a float and COVID. Let's just recap how you found customers and built the business since starting 2013. I think that's about when it was. Um, What were the key marketing and customer acquisition strategies when you first launched and how have they evolved? There's a big per curly question, start up early in the morning. (laughs) But welcome, great to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me. So we've actually been at this now for almost 10 years building Airtasker and I can tell you um, the growth curve definitely, you know, it's a J curve. And if I look back at the first three, four years, it doesn't look like we were doing too much, uh, although it definitely felt like at the time we were doing a lot.
0: Did you ever have any any self-doubt about, God, what have we done? Oh... Pretty much every, every lunchtime, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: is this the right thing to be doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know, it is tough um, when you're building a, a marketplace company because you actually have to invest quite a lot upfront into building out these scale and these network effects mm. uh, that make the experience so good. Um, you know, at that at that high level of um, network density that we have now, that high level of liquidity uh, that we have now. So, in those early days, um, we tried so many things. Um, we iterated. We experimented. We failed a lot. Um, some of the things that did work. Um, so we we um, invested a lot into uh, CRM. Uh, so, for example, um, when a user would sign up to Airtasker, we would aim to inspire them with all the different um, things that they could get done uh, on Airtasker. Uh, we did a lot of uh, standard performance and digital marketing uh, stuff in a really scrappy way. Uh, things like you know SEM and AdWords and and things like that. Um, and then also what we did, and we didn't really know that this was uh, what we were doing at the time, but we were uh, really good at telling some of the stories that were happening inside the Airtasker community um, out in in the form of PR and communications. We would see these really interesting, awesome tasks happening on Airtasker, you know, whether it was lining up for the first iPad in the world or lining up for in and out Burger, all these things that were like relevant to the zeitgeist. And when we would talk about them in the media, people would love it. And what we realized there is we had uncovered something which is that Airtasker is a community platform. It's not about us and, you know, the, the technology uh, that we're building. It's all about the people and the stories in the in the Airtasker community, and that's what makes it um, a really exciting business. And, and that's how we got that initial attraction that enabled us to build the network effect that we have now.
0: So it was essentially media coverage of the stories. And so just when you're talking about lining up for an, an iPad or an iPod, um, like how has that got to do anything with Airtasker?
1: Well, some of it was looking at um the data and the trends that we were um that we were uncovering. So one of the things that I found out about the local services economy is that it's not really tracked in any way in a centralized uh, way that um you know actually can tell you how much are people paying for cleaning right now? Right. How many people are, are are getting dog walking? Um, what's the hourly rate for those uh, kinds of jobs? All of this data wasn't available, um but by bringing this into an e-commerce marketplace environment, Uh, we were able to start uncovering some of those data and those trends and those stories. And, you know, it would be a combination of us, um, you know, going out and and telling journalists and telling the media about that, but also the media coming to us and saying, oh, you know, I've uncovered, you know, this little thread on Airtasker. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, right. Um, And we realized that this was a a big part of, um, you know, Airtasker's uh, growth strategy. Um, And as we, you know, built that out, we were able to develop network effects. And then, of course, have to move on to more scalable uh, marketing and, and growth strategies Um, But that was really the kernel of what we did well in those early days. So
0: firstly, 2013, early for an Australian marketplace to to emerge, I think, maybe not. But I'm really interested in, first thing is, those early days when you flick the switch and you were live, where did those customers come from early? I mean, was it just straight up you went out with media coverage or was that a bit later? Where did you get the first lot of customers? And it's an extraordinary plank to jump off when you've got something and now we've got to build it, will they come?
1: Well, first of all, I think that that analogy you just used of like jumping off a plank or jumping off the edge of a cliff is a great analogy, right. because it does feel like that. Yeah. Um, we had to invest a lot into building, you know, the initial software platform. Um, and in those early days, it was only being used by one or two people. Um, and You know, you, had you to spend, and your family. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Me and my, my co-founder. Um, so, you know, it does, does definitely feel like uh, jumping off a cliff. In terms of that zero to one, this is such a great and interesting um, subject matter to, mm. to, to to deep dive in and Actually, at Airtasker's Marketplace Academy, where we have all of our product managers and growth managers Uh, talking about this, this is the most interesting topic that we try to get to the bottom of. How do you solve the chicken and egg problem in brand new uh, markets? Mm. So in um, in the initial uh, version of Airtasker, what we did is we first focused on creating a proposition to our suppliers, our our service providers, that was so amazing that we didn't have to go and go out and proactively acquire them. And so... The way we designed the platform is first of all, we, we said there's no friction to enter the marketplace. We made that really simple and easy. The second thing is we charge no upfront fees. So we said to our taskers, you can come onto Airtasker and you can access all of the job opportunities that are there and you don't have to pay anything. Don't take any risk. Only if you earn money, then we'll take um, a fee for for delivering you that income. Right. And that sort of like ticked that box on the supply side of the marketplace where it was just such a rock star proposition that the Tasker's just kept coming. right? So then it became a big, um, you know, problem about how do you solve the demand side of the marketplace? How do you bring customers in who, who want to use uh, AirTasker? And that was really the challenge for those first three or four years, trying to uh, package that up and, and make it really simple for our customers. One of the things that we realized in that is that services or local services are inherently what we call long tail. Mm. Um, you can't sort of like package it up into a neat little package Um, Because every single customer has slightly different things that they need. So when you look at something like cleaning, it's not just a one-size-fits-all for cleaning. There's window cleaning, garage cleaning, car cleaning, clean my carpet, steam clean my couch. This creates this super long tail of different services. And what we had stumbled upon is that Airtask enabled all of that long tail of services by reducing the friction enabled them to exist. And so that's where we um, that's where we started to really see customers use us in those instances where there wasn't any other option or any other way that you could get something done, people would try
0: AirTasker. So let's step back from the customers because you firstly had to get your service providers, your taskers on board. So how did you get them? Because it's a, there's a big ship to sail there as well. Well, I think
1: this is really comes down to product design, which is that we said, create a proposition for them which is so much better than anything else, that you don't have to do marketing, you don't have to do uh, sales. And uh, what we realized was at the core of it is people were looking for job opportunities in which they could quickly jump into that and get that flexible work. So the alternatives were, you know, you go and apply for a job, that's going to take you weeks to, you know, get lined up for an interview, then you're going to go through a couple of interviews, then your first paycheck is probably coming three weeks after that. Mm. And so, you know, realistically... You're going down that route, you're looking at eight weeks away until you're, you know, really seeing some income. Um, and with underemployment so high where people just wanted a top-up as well as that long uh, waiting period, um, what Airtasker represented is I can get some cash in my bank account, you know, tomorrow or at the end of this week. Um, and that really just made that user proposition so um, so rockstar. Right, but that's that the proposition, right?
0: That's the pro- right, so that's the proposition but somehow you had to seed that you had a proposition out there. Where did you seed that to actually even get some momentum for other tasks to come on before you even get to the customers?
1: Well, it was very, very early, and our hypothesis was that university students would be a great um, area to to start that literal zero uh, to one. you know how do we get those first one hundred people uh, onto the platform? Um, thankfully, we had a, a very young team of people working at Airtasker who had relationships into um, a lot of the associations at universities. And so that you know, if you're talking about the first few weeks of yes, Air Tasker, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was partnering up with you know the Law Society of um, UTS and the Business um, Society at, um, at at the University of Sydney,
0: and telling the students you got to, you could have a, you could have some money here, you could make an earner. That's yes. what that's what was happening.
1: Absolutely. Mm. And so it turns out that students are probably a quarter of the the Tasker community that we've built, and over time we've had more and more freelance professionals, uh, professional trades coming in now um accountants, lawyers, tax consultants are coming in. Um but I really did start with this hypothesis that, you know, students in between lectures would love to, you know, grab a job.
0: Got it. So then we get to the customers. So what happens in that next phase at three years we you talked about, used a bit of search, used a bit of um AdWords and and organic and media. At what point when you talked about the J curve, was the J curve kick in year three, four, did it, where you sort of went from 10 customers to hundred or whatever the quantum is, uh, and what happened there? Was there a change in what you did? In your market facing strategy or what what happened?
1: For sure. So in 2016, I think so in the in the first few years of Airtasker was really just experimentation, iteration, hustling. Yeah. Thankfully the business that we've built has built-in network effects. So inherently the product just keeps getting better as more people are using it. So for example, if you posted a task in that first year of Airtasker, it probably would have taken you six hours to get a response. Um, you know, which is actually better than, you know, yeah. some of the yellow pages and things now. Uh, but nevertheless, it was not where we wanted it to be. But each year that came a, a along, it would get better and better. And the number of reviews and the experience and the skills of the the service providers on our platform would just keep um, getting better and better. And so by the time year three or four came around, you would post up a, a task and you'd get, you know, one or two offers in about five minutes. And that was just the aha moment for a lot of our customers to say, oh, wow, I feel like I was alone and I couldn't connect with the skills that I need, but I posted on Airtask and in five minutes, I've got someone talking right. to me. So we do have that built into it, which was, which was you know, also a tailwind in, in building up that momentum. Um, in 2016, what we realized is that we really need to turn Airtask into a household brand. We need mm-hmm. people to not be just finding us through, you know, a Google search, or just, you know, we can't rely on just a word of mouth uh, occurring.
0: Context um, then, how many customers did you have and how many tasks would you have had then, Tim?
1: I think at the time we we're doing a, a run rate. So this is like we're looking at it on a monthly basis. So we're running about $15 million of GMV, which is the total sales that goes through our, our marketplace.
0: Jobs booked, if you like, value of the jobs, is that what you mean? That's right. Yep.
1: And uh, where we are now is, you know, in excess of 10x, um, okay. that that size. but you you can kind of tell that, you know, the first four or five years was incredibly difficult compared mm. to the next. Mm. What we did do in 2016 is we partnered up with Seven West Media. Uh, so they came on board as um, an equity investor, um, but also investing part of that in uh, Media Contra. Uh, and this was actually, you know, a really, really great partnership because it was strategic at the level that they had something that we could really use, which was distribution and, you know, awareness mm. to customers. Um, and at the same time, they wanted to get exposure to you know a fast-growing technology uh, company. Um, but we didn't actually have strategic interests in the sense that they didn't want to do what we do, and we certainly didn't want to do what they were doing. Yeah. um, and so we we partnered with them. We started creating our first sort of television commercials. And this was kind of out of the box for most uh, for most startups um who are, you know still more focused on you know digital marketing and yes. incremental marketing. Um but Airtask was kind of different. We're a consumer product. And we're trying to build scale and network effects all across the country. Um, and so, it actually was one of the best uh, partnerships and moves I think that we made um, in, in history of Airtasker.
0: So, what happened there, Tim? So, you did some ad campaigns. I think you got integrated into some of the programming, did you, and so forth? So, when you did your first jig on screen or, or across the seven or seven's assets, what was the execution and what happened?
1: So, we did two things. Uh, one is that we created a, a commercial, which you know I still have a really soft spot for, which was the the Like a Boss commercial. Right. And uh, we had a we had a a Chinese lady moving a ping pong uh, table, um, but you know, secretly admitting that she got some help um, to right. move the ping pong table. And when we launched that ad, uh, it was pretty remarkable. We saw sort of thirty five percent, you know, week on week growth immediately. So it was a step change in moving Airtask's brand awareness from roughly two percent uh, to something like twenty five percent brand awareness in in the space of six to twelve months. Yeah. Um. So that was that was absolutely uh, massive. Um. But the other thing we um we thought is like. How do you put Airtasker into the zeitgeist of just you know what people are already doing? Because there's so many applications for for Airtasker. Um one of the um integrations that I think was um the most interesting was you know around things like better homes and gardens, where you know, it would be like, oh so, you know yeah. you're painting your home. What are your choices? You could do it yourself, or you could um let someone do it for you or you could partner with somebody, you know, to do a job uh, together. And so we had some great fun with you know, creating segments around that. and, um, again, introducing the real taskers on Airtasker mm. into the media landscape. And, you know, it's great to recognize some of these people who have, you know, incredible skills and, you know, put them in the spotlight for, for a moment. Well,
0: it's interesting because coming from a, um, a startup business where, uh, as, you, as you've as you already mentioned, so many startups follow the Dollar Shave Club example, where you've got the CEO founder doing a crazy YouTube video, it goes viral, it attracts attention, gets awareness, gets customers, and, and you're away, right? And so many Startups followed that model from, and that was around, around probably you, around 2012, I think that that uh, Dollar Shave Club vid came out and it went went off. So many followed that. And then so what, in talking to, to the Dollar Shave Club guys uh, a year ago, they were saying that because that trail is so well-worn now that there's so many startups that do it, they go for the YouTube, they go for the social, and it's just crowded and trying to get cut through, it's really hard. And so a lot of the startups are now going to mainstream media to get fast awareness, fast reach. It looks credible for a startup to be aligned. If you're on the television screen, oh, they must be serious. At the same time as all those old legacy companies are powering into digital, there's this kind of crossover going with startups to legacy, legacy players to, um, into digital, and so there's this kind of big wash-up. But for you four years on, so 2016 with Seven, at what point, I know Seven decided that they wanted to sort of, you know, exit to capitalise really on their, you know, the reducing debt. There's a whole bunch of reasons why they did what they did. Was there a natural peak with what you were doing in, in with your Seven relationship across its assets? Did you, did you ride it out to the top or was there more headroom if you'd, if you'd looked for it?
1: Well, I think there's always more headroom to keep investing into brand building and, you know, awareness uh, for any kind of consumer product. So we certainly uh, could have gone further, but the way I would characterize it is that, you know, for four years, uh, we really went on a journey from getting to, you know, two to 25% brand awareness. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty big uh, yeah. jump. As we started to reach those kinds of levels, we started looking at other forms of marketing. We're also looking at um, taking Airtasker International. So there's a sort of two aspects uh, to to that. And I think now that, um, you know, it's been fantastic to get Seven and Exit and help them, you know, pay down their debt, um, as you as you mentioned. Um but it's also great for us in that we can now take that budget that we used to, you know, have to spend in uh, free-to-air television, and have that freedom and flexibility to deploy that across all types of different channels, uh, both in Australia um, and, and internationally. Well,
0: let's go there, Tim. So, so what does that what does that new channel mix look like for you? And um, whatever that mix is, why you're going there?
1: There's a couple of things. Uh, one is um, part of where that um, that investment is going into is the people at Airtasker. So a lot of uh, marketing and and modern growth strategies today are very dependent on technology. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, every time you you look at something, whether it's a search engine optimization, whether it's a CRM campaign, you know, emailing and push notifications, um, you very quickly come up to needing an incredible level of competence in, in software engineering, uh, data and analytics, product management and growth marketing. Mm. And so a lot of, um, you know, our um, p l has changed shape to be even further invested into the people um, of Airtasker and that, that's that been, you know, a wonderful journey. Um, in terms of new international markets, uh, we're absolutely investing into a mix of both headcount um, and, and marketing as well as um, recently making an acquisition as well to jumpstart the market. So that's really given us, you know, this new capital and this flexibility um, that we've got with this new capital is opening up a lot of different opportunities. So it'd be
0: fair to say that your your typical awareness building efforts from 16 to 21 with, with 7 is now moving to more digital and functional performance channels and execution, search, social, are you doing any advertising at all? I think brand building is absolutely still part
1: of the mix for your task and it's incredibly important. You know, we want we want to be top of mind, that household brand name, when you need something done you're going to think, airtasker, I need to airtasker it. You know, mm-hmm. we want to keep uh, driving that um, uh, that message. So um, in that regard, I would say that um, it, it's not a switch between channels. It's not to say we're going to turn off TV and put everything into YouTube or Facebook or, or, or something uh, like that. I think it's fit for purpose. You mm-hmm. know, the objective here is uh, building the brand and that could happen through a mix of uh, Facebook,
0: YouTube, above the line um, and outdoor too. So let's, um, let's get to the really interesting bits of of last year because it's fascinating. Um, as we said, there's a great, some great tales in there. Um, talk us through when COVID hit. There's a great anecdote that you you kind of did your crunch your numbers and went, we could be up for a massive flash, as, as everyone did, including MI3, <laughs> looking at last year. Whoa, do we have a publishing business? But um, for you guys, even more dramatic. So just talk us through the scenario there of, of your scenario mapping, if you like, when you thought, where could this go? What's going to happen to us?
1: That's a it's a really great question and you know it's a great story. So um in February, March of, of last year, we initially saw that um the marketplace experienced a depression of around 14% month on month. Um and that that's a pretty big number um at the at the level of um, marketplace volume that that we were doing at the time. So it was, certainly didn't look like a little blip on the screen. It looked uh-huh. like, oh, this is pretty this is getting pretty serious. And and when we looked at each other at a very superficial level, we said, well, Airtask is all about in-person interactions and meeting people face-to-face and and that might not be possible for quite some time. Mm. And so we started hypothesizing, you know, this could drop by 80, 90%, you know, um, we have a lot of remote tasks on Airtasker too. So, um, you know, that 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 bit would have always been resilient and and we got pretty nervous. So the first thing we did is we actually, you know, made sure that we secured the the trust and the safety in the community. Um, but the second thing we did is we were actually really transparent about this with staff to make sure that they felt safe and secure during this um, scenario and they knew what was happening. And what we hypothesized here is if volumes go down by 50%, we're probably going to have to start cutting people's hours, which I think was a popular thing to do back in in that period. And we said if it drops, you know, further than that, we're probably going to have to make cuts to staff. And, you know, we want to let you know about that up front um, so that we all know what sort of numbers that we're looking at you know, if it drops by 50 or it drops by 60%, here's what's going to happen. And that was actually really great in building trust, I think, with our, with our people to say, okay, cool, they know what they're doing. And you know, that it would be what it is. Um, but I understand the situation. And, and then what we noticed is that the marketplace just started to to change shape. And so almost immediately, we started seeing different kinds of tasks coming up on the platform. So um, as you might remember, back uh, you know in the toilet paper era, yes. um, people really wanted help with uh, with shopping deliveries. Um, uh-huh. Other people wanted in-home uh, personal trainers, like you know remote um, personal trainers. Um, bike uh, repairs was something that spiked. I think it was like 160% week on week or whatever. Yeah, as people started to embrace different kinds of transport. And um, and then on the other side of the market, our service providers they started getting really innovative too, which is the great thing about having a marketplace where the incentives are aligned. Uh, they want to help. We don't have to force them mm. or handle them or anything like that. Um, and they started saying, well, I can do a lot of the things that I used to do in person remotely. Uh, one great example was someone who helps uh, install um, baby seats in cars.
0: Yes, right. And so
1: rather than you know going out and doing it herself, she would offer... Um, to um, to uh, get onto a, a mobile video chat with you and talk you through talk you through it, right? And and you know, it's a great example that it's not the labour that you're buying; it's actually the skills and the expertise of that person who can you know, teach you how to do mm. something and give you that confidence. the um, The overall outcome of that was that the marketplace just gently adapted to the new demand and supply, and um, overall proved to be super resilient and. As a result, 2020 calendar year was the best year of growth for Airtasker point-to-point.
0: Extraordinary, isn't it? So there's no Armageddon at all.
1: <laughs> no, it's quite quite the opposite. And actually, I think it revealed to people, you know, that they could try something new and, you know, kind of force them to have a crack at, at something different. Um, And then they stuck around, which is great.
0: So what, particularly around COVID, were the most interesting insights and observations you made about your customer behavior? Was it Was it, was it a... Well, didn't see that coming. Well, that's really interesting. You've talked to some of them, really, about them organically re- reinventing themselves. Is really what was happening on on the platform, weren't they? But in terms of uh, customer behavior, consumer insights, what have you learned now that you didn't know coming in?
1: Well, I think we, you know, we obviously learned about the different category mix and what are the demands um, of you know people in the Airtasker community. So, you know, we have category mix uh, mapping where we're looking at the different types of tasks that are coming through the platform, and we could see you know a shift from you know, some categories did go down. For example, domestic cleaning was something that, you know, with people working from home, uh, that would reduce. On the other yeah. hand, you know, we mentioned some of these other nichier categories that, that, that started to emerge. Um, so I think we, we learned about that. We also started seeing, you know, what was the impact on the supply and the demand and, and how that actually relates to um, the average order value on Airtasker. So one thing is that as over time, we've seen the average order value on Airtasker increase at roughly 8% for the past five years. Uh, During this period, we actually saw because the the skills were changing and in in some cases becoming more sophisticated and complex and there being a shortage in the number of uh, workers on the platform with migration, you know, some people leaving the country and others not able to work, uh, we did see the average order value continue to increase uh, on the platform. And I think that's a great thing for our taskers. Um, But, you know, I'll probably take this moment to shout out as well. If you have skills... You should jump onto Airtasker because there is a hell of a lot of uh, opportunity um, out there and we would love to have your help uh, getting
0: these tasks done. No, good uh, good shout out. And you're on it. We'll get to that in a minute. But what leads here is, or is it both ways? Do the service providers start thinking out some services and then customers come or well, the customers searching for it and they see there's an opportunity because there's, there's search going on? Which way, What? who feeds what?
1: So the way the original Airtasker model worked is that you would post a task. So it's really the customer, the demand side of the marketplace saying, this is what I need. Who can help me out? And this works and then, you know, service providers will come and, you know, make an offer on your task. It's just between you and them and you pick the person who's right for your job. And this is fantastic in capturing those really, really long tail bespoke jobs where it's very specific to the customer's uh, needs. What we realized though is in some sense, it's kind of like walking into a shop and the shelves being completely empty and a store attendant coming out the front and saying, hey, what can I get for you? I can literally get you anything that you need. In some sense, that's fantastic. In another sense, the shelves are empty and you can't mm. really see what is possible. And so we we started interviewing our customers about this problem. They would say, I love using Airtasker. And we would say, okay, well, if you love using Airtasker, how come, you know, you're only using us at a frequency of about 1.9 mm. times per year? And they would say, oh, well, I didn't need anything, you know, done. That's why I didn't use Airtasker. And we'd say, well, what about, you know, your tax return? Can we help you with that? They'd go, yeah, that'd be amazing. I'd love that help you like, do hey,
0: that. Oh right, you do yeah. that. <laughs>
1: and then we'd say, you know, well, maybe we could help wash your windows. They're like, that that would be amazing. I wish that mm. this could happen. And and what we realized is we needed to inspire customers about what's out there. And so our new marketplace model, I'm super excited about it. It's got Airtasker listings. And what it is, it's enabling anybody to be able to pre-package services and effectively put it on the shelves of the Airtasker store so that as customers browse through the store, they they can see or be inspired by all the things you can get done.
0: Right, the discovery process for them.
1: Exactly. It's, mm. it's discovery and inspiration. Mm. And so uh, we launched that um, earlier this year. We've had 17... Post-IPO? Um, we launched, you know, in the, in the spirit of experimentation iteration, um, the product rolls out in components. Right. And so we uh, we launched the ability to create a listing um, before our IPO Um, We're already at 17,000 listings that have been uh, created. So we're overwhelmed with stuff that's uh, now on the shelves and we're really struggling to uh, make the shelves intuitive so you can find stuff. Yeah. uh, and uh, bookings on the, in the marketplace have grown at about 20% week on week uh, wow. since we, we launched that in early February.
0: Well, a, that's a really great customer consumer insiders and in terms of putting something, letting let them discover and be inspired. Just You just said something there about you know, trying to deliver listings that are intuitive to the user, to the individual, I guess, is what you're talking about, which gets me back to a question I was busting to ask earlier, which is what's your background?
1: So I'm a marketing and a marketplace guy. Um, I studied marketing in university, um, and then worked in um, in finance, uh, in investment bank at Macquarie for for about five years, and then then got into um, startups and a few other things. Um, but the company of Airtasker really had to mature uh, from the technology side of things.
0: Is your co-founder and engineer or technologist, so That's you have right. some capability there. Yeah, right? So yeah.
1: So my, my co-founder John is uh, an engineer, um, so that was um, definitely a you know a useful start to that. Mm. Uh, nevertheless, it's been a journey in really building out that culture and 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 finding the best people in the world to to do this kind of work. Um, and, you know, what we say at Airtasker is our mission is to empower people to realize the full value of their skills. And that that applies, of course, in the marketplace, but it also applies very, very importantly uh, at, at working at Airtasker. Uh, we want to be a company that, you know, enables people to come in, do their best work and and really... Um, help to build and, and work towards our mission.
0: Was there any sort of inspiration or, or models that you looked at for Airtasker, whether offshore or locally, that said, "There's where we want to go"? Was there anything high on your attention list? Yeah, that's such an interesting question
1: because I, I I talk about this with our chairperson and you know with my leadership team all the time, which is um, as much as there's a huge amount to be learned um, from you know software and technology companies that you know have grown into billion, multi, multi, multi billion dollar companies, both in Australia and 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 globally. There's a lot you can learn from them. Uh, for example, methodologies like using uh, OKRs, um, having cross-functional um, empowered product teams. These are all like ways of working which mm. have proven to be successful uh, models. At the same time, you need to chart your own course. Uh, for example, right now, Airtasker is a company of around about 150 um, people. Actually, with the Zali acquisition, we've just bought across another 11 people. So, you know, it is uh, certainly growing. Um But that's very different to where, for example, Amazon is with a million employees or where Google is with, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees. So I think you've got to take the learnings from the people who've done it before, but also not just cookie cutter that. I think it's actually quite dangerous to cookie cutter um, because sometimes, you know, you look at Google and you go, well, they have four kinds of noodles in their salad bar that's free at the, you know, (laughs) uh, on their massive global campus. Is that what we need to do to be successful? And the answer is probably not.
0: Yeah. Competitive set, Tim. So, you know, we've got others like, I guess, a high pages. Where is your broad competitive set? Where are you pulling from? What are people, people that are going to Airtask who are just kind of going direct to tradies via Google search or what what happens? So
1: most of the uh, local services marketplace right now is completely untapped. You know, if you look at uh, from an e-commerce perspective, so who is actually buying services online? Um, Now, there are a lot of companies that are doing advertising or subscriptions that sort of focus on the supply side of the marketplace. Mm. So, for example, you know, you mentioned High Pages, which is focused on tradies. uh, And you have other, um, you know, classifieds and directories businesses pretty much doing the Yellow Pages, but, you know, the the online version uh, of that. And the big differentiation there is they charge sort of advertising fees or upfront sort of subscription fees rather than facilitating, you know, an actual transaction between a buyer and a seller. Um, So in that space, Airtasker is, you know, really in a blue ocean uh, in Australia. And then interestingly, when we went to new countries like the UK and the US, we were looking around and we're like, is anybody doing this? Um, And and the great thing is uh, with our US team now on the ground led by Bo Fishback, the founder of Zali, you know, what he says is it's unbelievable, but you know, we're the same. We've got a whole bunch of you know, Yellow Pages 2.0 type companies, but no one is just doing local services e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so Airtask is going to go um, over to the US and and really what we're fighting against is how do we get the word out, um, you know, in the quickest possible it's way. It's the awareness
0: of the of the company and the brand first uh, for what it's providing. That's where you're at.
1: That's right. And, you know, the great thing is about our model is that we can keep investing into the software, the data systems and and the product um, it's all centralized, yeah. So we can just keep investing more and more
0: into creating a better um,
1: software product, and that really scales globally.
0: So just on that, you're going to the US. So how? What is your grand plan at this stage to 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 get customer acquisition and brand awareness in the US? A giant. You're crikey, that must be daunting.
1: That's a great uh, question around planning, and I think um, you know I think the saying goes. You know, the plan is nothing, but the planning is everything. Right. You know, it's that, that that concept of, you know, you've got to plan the next three years, but in two months, you're probably going to plan the next three years again, right? And again and again. Um, so I wouldn't say that we have a grand uh, plan. What we do have is a great team of people who are empowered to get out there and be agile and um, and, and serve the mission. Uh, so in the U.S. market, um, we acquired a company called Zali. Um, it brings to us uh, 900 um, verified service providers. Uh, on the platform and 597,000 registered users. Right. Um, and that gives us a real jumpstart into that market, particularly in their focus areas, which is Kansas City and Dallas. Right. Uh, so that's um, been an interesting jumpstart to that. We have then also brought across uh, the 11 uh, great marketplace experts who work at Zali, um and they're going to be leading uh, the charge over there, as well as some great product functionality. Um. So in the US market, it's a green field, but we have raised about $20 million uh, to move into that market. And, You know, really be agile and invest in, you know, Mm. see what works and double down on on what works.
0: Gee, that's another, that's a conversation in its own right, telling the Americans how to to do a marketplace. Fascinating.
1: You know, one thing that has been quite remarkable over the last decade or so is Australia has been successful at building marketplaces. You know, if you look at something like Seek, Mm. uh, that has been a world leader in Job Classified's uh, models. Um, all across the world. You know, Seek, Domain, Car Sales, yes, you know, yeah. all the 1.0 marketplaces. Yeah. Um, they, they have been really successful. Why is
0: that? You're arguing there that we'd punch above our weight then on that.
1: Yeah, I'd say massively. Um, Australia is a high trust marketplace that is somewhat constrained uh, geographically. Mm. So although it looks like it's a um, a large country with a low um, number of people across the country, actually we're fairly population dense. You know, Sydney and Melbourne. Make up a large part, and then if you include Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, you've, you've you know you've really got a large part of Australia in those. Um, you know, well, I think regional is
0: about thirty three percent of the population, right? So two thirds of the population is in five cap cities, really.
1: Yeah, and that is um, you know in other countries like say in Germany you have much more um, right. spread. Yeah. Um, and I think that that um, constraint and that geographic density actually does uh, help to build those scale and those network effects um, early on. And, and that's really important in building a marketplace.
0: Can't wait to hear about the US stuff because at the same time, interestingly, as you're doing this, you've got a mega brand like Penfolds, for instance, which we we had the CMO from Penfold, the global CMO for Penfolds this year. And they're doing the same thing. They're going to the US um, with Penfolds, but uh, in, in an e-commerce context. So they're going DTC. So they argue that, Wine in the US at retail is bought by region, not by variety. So it's completely different to what the Australian market does. So they've gone, and then because Australia gets put in the back borders of the bottle shop or the wine the wine store, um, they have spent twenty years planting vineyards in California and other parts, and now they're going to have penfolds with, and they'll be in the California rack of the retail store, but also DTC. They're building a whole e commerce platform. So really interesting couple of opposite startup Australian startup. Big iconic Australian brand, both doing the US, doing it different ways, same challenges, really interesting. We sort of touched on uh, Airtasker listings as, as one of the new products and services. Where else can Airtasker go? And while we're at it, you actually on Airtasker, we better get to get this plug in because it's fascinating. You are doing, you will review a startup deck. For five hundred bucks, that's the part of the listings. This is a new service you've got. Explain this to our audience.
1: That's right. If you're going to go and you know you want, you have to do a pitch presentation. Whether it's you know to raise money for your startup or whether it's you know you're an agency and you're you're trying to get a new customer, um, you know where my expertise has been built up over the years is looking at these pitch decks and being able to provide some guidance and input, hopefully to, to make it better. Um, so if you go to my listing, which I think we're going to add a link to. We will in the, uh, the
0: story, but for the listener who sometimes may not read the piece, it is what, where do they go?
1: It's, uh, well, go to the Airtasker, um, go to the App Store, get the Airtasker iOS app or Android app, and you'll see me, hopefully, Search um, I've Tim made Con- the homepage. That's right.
0: Bang, you get the. And so is anyone taking you up, Tim? And have they paid?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So um yeah, I've already done a couple of pitch deck uh, reviews and you know I jump on a Zoom call with you and uh, talk you through all that's of super the super cheap because you're
0: talking about five hundred bucks. Yeah, that's well, a, gee, that's <laughs> that's good value if you ask me.
1: Well you gotta dog food your own uh, dog yes. food your own product. That's so right. um, that's what we're doing with the getting listing started.
0: It's good stuff. And so and so anything next, what happens like where where's the, the, the vision of where you could go? Well
1: I think there's three main areas that we're focused on at the moment. One is continuing to invest in the core product. Um, Airtasker can get smoother, can get faster and get more frictionless and and more reliable. Uh, So we're going to keep investing into the core product. The second area that we're going to invest into is new marketplace models. Um, So we've talked about Open Marketplace, the original Airtasker model. Uh, Airtasker listings, which unlocks a whole bunch of new service categories for us. And there's new models coming now, which I can't speak about uh, just yet. Um, The third area is international expansion. So we're focused on the US uh, and the UK markets for now. Um, but, but certainly there's a huge amount of um, area where um, the Airtasker mission of creating jobs and empowering people to realize the full value of their skills is really relevant.
0: So the, the tease you gave us about some new stuff that you're not going to tell us about, Tim, what, what time frame do we see that? Is that six, 12 months out? When will we start to see the emergence of those brainchilds?
1: Well, I think if I asked my engineering team for a, a drop-dead date at which these products would uh, launch, they'd probably murder me. Um, so, <laughs> right. so, I'm not going to do that. The but next so- five
0: years. Uh, that's safe.
1: <laughs> exactly. No, I think um, one of the things that's been great about investing into, you know, such a, a strong product and engineering team is that, you know, things happen now in weeks um, and mm. not
0: months and quarters. Wow. That's okay. And it's just while you're on that team point, you said there there is a huge shortage of, of people in the market across any sector, any category. I mean, whether you're in digital marketing, whether you're in engineering and so forth, it's just like what's happened in the last covids spawned maybe the, the the visas and the work visas and so forth. the problem but are you seeing that and and how are you coping with that talent shortage because it's in, in in a lot of the conversations i have across the markets that we cover it's a big problem
1: it is a big problem um certainly from a company perspective in hiring engineers data scientists and um, product managers product designers has been a real challenge from a skills perspective um, a lot of the folks that are being hired are, you know were previously coming from overseas right. um, into australia we're trying to jump start that experience and that expertise you know whether from the uk the us um, or all over the world uh, really so that is definitely challenging and continues to be um, a challenge uh, for us as we try to scale the team mm. we cannot hire fast enough mm. um in terms of the marketplace we're also seeing a shortage uh, there um, and what I you know that was my uh, my earlier plug if you have skills and you're mm. looking for ways to earn extra money I really would love you to join uh, airtasker and get on the feed and have a look at uh, what demand's the demand there the demand is exploding mm. um, and uh you know thankfully for airtasker we have a really uh, great engaged tasker community tens of thousands of taskers who are you know working their butts off um, every single day on the on the platform but we need more people um, demand just keeps uh, exploding and as you mentioned, in terms of you know what is causing the catalyst of that, I do think that the migration issue um, and having closed borders is is a major. A major issue. I think that you know transient workers were certainly part of the, mm. um, you know, part of the mix, and and those are no longer here. Is there
0: a sort of unmappable at the moment uh, benefit to that, and that it may force us to to produce or find local talent, develop local talent, or is that just sort of like a no, too, actually no, too hard and not going to happen?
1: Well, I think in terms of the company and you know those jobs around you know technology yes, I think we're going to be forced to do that. Is it the fastest way to get where we want to get to? Probably not. I think that um, having a mix of both local and imported uh, talent and skills into the country um, would definitely be a faster route to get there. And You know, I think if you ask the likes of Atlassian and Canva and, you know, these other really successful companies, they'd
0: probably um, mirror that sentiment. So I'm going to let you get on with building a very fabulous international uh, play. But the final one is that this notion of let's talk the flex versus gig economy. Now, you're sort of moving from gig to flex. Is it semantics? What's that about? And there there is a bit of noise and frustration and criticism around the gig economy for a bunch of reasons. What's flex versus gig?
1: So I think that, you know, when we we talk about the gig economy now, that's sort of shorthand for any app in which you're, you know, um, getting work. And um, I think that the, it's much more nuanced than that. You mentioned the difference between gig and flex economy. The way we see it is a gig economy platform is characterized by the app or the platform itself sort of determining the scope of work to be done, like telling you what to do, and also determining and defining the price that you're going to get paid for it. Um, so I think like ride-sharing, and food Menu delivery like, kind of yeah, fall right, into okay. those um, those uh, kind of categories. Here's what you're going to do and here's how much we're going to pay you for it, accept or, or, or reject. Um, Airtask is very different from that. We're an open marketplace, we're community driven, which is that the customers, uh, you know, define the problems and the taskers define the solutions and how much they want to be paid for delivering that, that, that solution. And so that's completely different. It's not actually Airtasker determining the price and the scope of work. It's the community. Mm. Um, and I think that that is, um, you know, in the, in the case of those first instances, the gig economy companies, you know, we certainly welcome, you know, the concept of discussing regulation and, you know, and how, we, um, how we define that because the platforms are in that position. Um, but when it's a community marketplace, I think we need to think more about education. Mm. How do we help mom and dad, the customer, who is, you know, um, booking these local services about what's a fair rate, how to set up a, you know, a safe home environment, etc.? And the same for the service providers who are doing the work. It's all about education.
0: Tim, fabulous talking, really fascinating, and we should have some more conversations, I think, once you're US and UK market and some, some other things. But great to have you on the mics, and thanks for joining. I know our listeners will love this. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer.